Uh, but you made a decision to be in here with us today. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are starting a brand new message series this morning, a three-part series. And if you look at the back of your bulletin, you can see where we're going in the series. This series is called, It's Not That Complicated. It's Not That Complicated. On every side of every issue, you will find someone who identifies as a Christian. Have you noticed this? Every side of every issue, little tiny issues, big old issues, you'll find somebody who identifies as a Christian. How is this possible? What's going on here? Is Christianity so big and so broad that you can just believe whatever you want, call yourself a Christian, and be on every side of every single issue? How is this possible? The answer, according to me, isn't that complicated. It has everything to do with the Bible. And this is what I believe. If everyone who identified as a Christian, if we all maintained the same beliefs about what the Bible is, and if we all agreed on how to interpret it, I really believe we'd all be on the same side of every issue. And so that's why we're doing this series. We're taking a look at what the Bible is, how we got it, and how to read it. And I mentioned last week in the announcements, we're doing this series by popular demand because I had four people ask me to preach on this subject. And so four was enough to talk about what the Bible is. And that's what our focus today is to figure out what the Bible is. Now, I've told you this before about my background. I grew up in a, a Christian household. I grew up going to church. And as a kid, I was taught that the Bible is the Word of God. Have you heard that before? The Bible is the Word of God. But what I discovered growing up is you can use that terminology and you can mean different things by that. You can refer to the Bible as the Word of God and have a very high view of the Bible, or you can refer to the Bible as the Word of God and have a very low view of what the Bible is. You can call the Bible the Word of God, and you can believe that it is infallible. It is perfect. It is the authority. It is worthy of literal, consistent, and normative translation, and that the history recorded in the Bible is accurate. And that this book really does reveal to us God's will and, and God's nature and God's desire for us. You can have that high view of Scripture and call it the Word of God. But then I've also discovered that there are people who refer to the Bible as the Word of God that have that lower view. They view the Bible as more a, a useful guide in understanding God. Is it perfect? Well, who can say? Is it infallible? Well, who can say? Is the history recorded accurate? Well, who can say? But it's at least a useful guide in understanding God and His will and who He is and what He cares about. And so people can refer to the Bible as the Word of God and mean different things by that. You can have a high view or you can have a low view. Does that sound derogatory to say people have a low view? I don't know how else to say it. I don't mean to sound mean, but that's just how it is. To have a high view of Scripture or a low view of Scripture. Call it the Word of God. Growing up, uh, <clears throat> boy, it was kind of a messy situation that I grew up in. Um, I grew up going to a church that was part of a denomination, and by the time that I was a kid in the 80s, um, this church had made a decision, this denomination had made a decision, that they were taking a lower view of the Bible. Sure, we can call it the Word of God, but we're seeing it more as a, as a useful guide. And so that denomination that I was a part of growing up viewed the, the Bible from a, from a lower perspective, that it perhaps was not infallible, that the history is in question that's recorded there. But that's the decision that the denomination made. And so they made that decision, which meant that all of the pastors, all of the clergy, um, in order to be approved to go into this denomination, they had to come out of a seminary that held a, a, a low view of the Bible. 
And so there are plenty of churches, plenty of seminaries that have a, a low view of what the Bible is. And so if you wanted to be ordained into that specific domination, you had to go to a school that had a low view of Scripture and then were ordained to be a pastor. And so I grew up in this denomination where the official position was a, a low view of Scripture. However, <laughs> however, there were plenty of members of the local church that I grew up in that had a high view of Scripture, that believed that it was the authority, that it was infallible, that it was worthy of literal interpretation. And so that's the mess that I grew up in. The official position and the clergy had a low view, but there were some members, people in leadership, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders that had a high view. So I got, I got it all. <laughs> I got a big old mess that as a kid, I'm trying to figure out because all these people, here I'm a kid, all these people are telling me that the Bible is the word of God, but they have a different idea of what exactly that means. I was confirmed, we had a confirmation process in that church, and I was confirmed by a pastor, and the pastor the pastor did not believe that God sent his son Jesus into the world to die. The, the death of Jesus was not part of God's plan. That's what the pastor told us. However, I had Sunday school teachers and youth leaders and other mentors in the church that had a high view of Scripture that said, no, that was, that was part of God's plan. That, that was the reason why God sent Jesus into this world. In John 1.19, there's, there's John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John 3.16, the well-known verse, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Luke 22, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's Jesus praying before, hours before he's arrested, praying, God, I know this is your plan for me to die. Is there some other way? And so if you take the scripture literally, you have to see that this is part of God's plan. This is why God sent Jesus to this earth to die a sacrificial death, a death of atonement for our sins. And so if you have a high view of scripture, you, you have to believe that was God's plan. Another pastor in that same church, different pastor, same church growing up, didn't believe in hell. Now listen, a lot of people outside of the Christian community, a lot of people don't believe in hell. Goodness gracious. Why would anybody want to believe in hell? I mean, you know, call it hell, call it the lake of fire, call it a place of, of judgment, a place of eternal separation from God, whatever you want to call it. This, the concept of this eternal torture is, is an awful thing. Who would want to believe that? And so again, I had a, a clergy member, a pastor that had a low view of Scripture that said, well, well I really don't believe in hell. But at the same time, I have Sunday school teachers and youth leaders warning me, teaching me about the reality, the reality of hell. Mark 9, 47 through 48. If your eye causes you to stumble, words of Jesus, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and being cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story of what it's going to be like when he returns, separating the sheep from the goats. He gives this story. And those who know him as Savior, those who had a relationship with him and served him are saved. And then there's the other group. And he says, then these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9. God is just. 
You will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Here's the issue. If you, if you maintain a high view of Scripture, then, then you're forced to acknowledge some things and believe some things that might make you uncomfortable. Believing things that you would not want to believe in. In that same church, in that same denomination, I had a pastor that, that didn't believe in the assurance of salvation. Do you know that terminology, the assurance of salvation, to know that you could be saved again? There's a clergy member that had a low view of Scripture saying that, well, can you ever really be sure that you're saved? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Jesus died in my place, and I've accepted him as my Savior. And he laughed it off. This is a real conversation I had with the pastor. Oh, this guy's arrogant. He thinks he's going to have. Like, are you kidding me? It's what Scripture says. And so again, to have a clergy member with a low view of Scripture, but then other teachers, other leaders that say, no, Romans. What's the verse? Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I, I believe. I believe that. And so let me tell you, and you probably already know, but let me tell you where I, where I landed in what I mean. When I say the Bible is God, what do I mean by that? Do I have a high view? Do I have a low view? Am I somewhere in the middle? Here's what I believe. I'll tell you what I believe, and then I'll attempt to give you an idea of how I ended up there. I believe that the Bible is infallible. I have a high view of Scripture, a high view of the Bible. I believe that it is inspired by God, that it has been breathed into existence by God. I believe that it is historically accurate. The passages that present themselves as history are historically accurate. I believe that the Bible, all throughout Old Testament, New Testament, all of it is worthy of literal, normative interpretation and I believe that the Bible is the revelation of God, the revelation of who God is, what He values, what He desires for us. Now, before I tell you how I landed at this conclusion, there's something that we have to address, and that's the fact that there is a difference between evidence and proof, okay? And so I can give you my reasons, I can present you with a few reasons why I believe that we should read the Bible as the authority, that it really we should have a high view of Scripture. I can tell you why, but I don't know if I'll ever convince you or anybody else to believe the same thing that I do about the Bible. Because there is a difference between evidence and proof. I can give you some evidence, but it might not be enough to prove anything to you, the individual. As they say, proof is in the eye of the beholder. Have you heard that expression? Yeah, I made that up. That's me. Proof. But it makes sense, right? Proof is in the eye of the beholder. You know the kind of thing I'm talking about, right? People that believe the earth is flat, you can show them pictures... You can take them up on a space shuttle, but it's not enough to prove. It's evidence, but it's not enough, right? Yes? Holocaust deniers. You read the history books, you see the photographs, but they don't believe that it happened. They have plenty of evidence, but it's just not enough to prove to that individual. And so that's, that's the dilemma that we have here when it comes to all matters of the faith, where we stand in the Bible, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about God, what we believe about eternal life. We can be presented with all sorts of evidence, but then it's up to us to decide, well, what do we believe? Is this evidence enough to prove anything to me as an individual. And so here's, here's, here's one of my issues with all this, okay? Again, growing up in this situation where I was exposed to both ends, a low view and both a high view of Scripture, there's something I couldn't figure out. Here's one of the issues, here's one of the reasons why I landed on having a high view, 
I couldn't figure out this simple thing. It's the issue of consistency, or maybe I should say it's the issue of inconsistency. And what I can't figure out for those people, and some of you, you might be here today and have a low view of Scripture. What I can't figure out is if you don't believe all of it, why believe any of it? That's what I can't figure out. And maybe I'm just too simple in the way I think about this. Maybe I'm just kind of a dumb guy from Delco. What do I know? But just like according to my logic, it's just like, well, if, if, you, if you don't believe these passages, then why do you believe any of it? If you don't believe all of it, why believe any of it? Because for me, again, this is just one person's perspective. For me, the whole thing seems arbitrary. Why do people believe some of it, some passages, but, but reject others? It seems arbitrary. I can't figure out. What's the metric that's being used? What's the standard that we're, that's being used by people who have a low view of Scripture to determine? Well, this part I believe, but this part I reject. What's, what is that? It seems, again, one person's perspective, it seems arbitrary to me. There are people who believe that Jesus really did raise from the dead. They read the Gospels, these biographies of the life of Jesus. They believe, yes, this is historically accurate. Jesus did raise from the dead. But then they read the book of Jonah, written hundreds of years before Jesus. And they read about this guy Jonah being swallowed up by a great sea creature, a great fish, in the belly of this great fish for days and spit up on the shores of Nineveh. They say, well, I don't believe that. I believe the resurrection... That's presented as history, but I don't believe this stuff with Jonah. It's just hard to swallow, okay? <laughs> Pun intended, all right? And I get it. It's, the whole thing is ridiculous, yes? A big fish swallows up a man. Yeah, it is hard to believe, but it's presented as history. The resurrection is presented as history. Why believe one and not the other? You see what I'm saying? It, what, what, is the, what is the process? Well, I'm just going to believe the stuff that's easier for me to believe? I, I don't get it. It seems, it seems to be arbitrary. You have people that, um, that might believe that Jonah is historically accurate. Yes, this did happen. There was a dude swallowed by some kind of sea creature, a great fish or a whale, spit up on the shores of Nineveh. I accept that as historically accurate. But then they go back to the Old Testament further back, and they read about how God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. I said, I don't believe that actually happened. I don't believe that because that doesn't line up with how I want to think about God or what I believe about God. I'm like, well, why believe this but not, but not that? Is this point landing? You got it, right? There are people, this is, I mean, I'm just telling you, there are people that identify themselves as Christians that don't believe that the resurrection was literal. I say, well, no, 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 it's just the story, Right? It's about Jesus, and he had these teachings, and then even though he died, his teachings continue on to this day. His teachings live. Like, well, why? <laughs> why do you believe that his teachings are worth following if you don't believe that he rose from the dead? What's, what's the process that we're doing here? It seems arbitrary. Why is this? Why do we have certain individual Christians in certain churches, certain denominations, certain seminaries just cherry-picking their way through the Bible? Why is this? Well, the answer to that question, it's not complicated at all. You know, we talked about, not too long ago in our church, we talked about um, becoming unoffendable, yes. And so people like me who have a high view of Scripture, when we encounter people who have a low view of Scripture, we have this temptation to get all offended. How dare you? How can you believe these things? But, but the answer is very simple. 
See, for all of us, all of us human beings, we're all biased, yes? We're all biased. Now, when a human being is given access to the Bible, when a human being has this, we're going to read through it, and there are going to be things that we like and things that we don't like. There are going to be passages that line up and agree with our preconceived idea about who God is and what He wants, and then there's going to be these passages that disagree with that. So we all have this temptation to just give in to our bias. But if we, as a local church, as a group of Christians, if we are going to understand what Scripture has to say, we have to do our best to eliminate that bias. And if we take a high view and we believe the Bible is the Word of God and we believe that what it says is accurate, whether we like it or not, we have to stick with that. And just acknowledge there. Listen, I'll tell you, as, as pastor of this church, as a Christian, there are things I read about that God has said and God has done. I'm like, oof, ugh. if I was God, I don't know if I would have done that, right? If God had asked for my counsel and certain things he's done throughout history, I might have said, oh, God, I, I, wouldn't recommend, I wouldn't recommend that course of action. But I don't have to be comfortable with it <laughs> in order for it to be true. That's really important. We don't have to be comfortable with it in order to believe, to believe that it's true. Let me tell you another reason why I believe that the Bible is, is worthy of consistent literal interpretation. It has to do with what the, the mechanics of what the Bible is. And that's really the topic of the day. What is the Bible? So let's talk through this. So you've got the Bible, and it's in two main parts, yes? All right, we're going through the mechanics of this. And this might be the most useful information you walk away with today, yes? Two main parts. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. And some of you in this room right now are thinking, I already know how the Bible works. Well, this isn't for you then. This is for the people who don't know yet, all right? You've got the Old Testament, and you've got the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament is primarily the story of God's relationship with one nation, the nation of Israel, how God develops this one nation from one man and develops this nation of Israel out of Abraham. And those are God's chosen people, special people. And it's the story of God's special agreement, special covenant with this nation. That's primarily what the Old Testament is. This deal, this arrangement, this covenant, this testament that God makes with the nation of Israel. And then we make our way to the New Testament, and that's where Jesus enters into the scene. Jesus enters into the world and brings us this New Testament, this new covenant, a new deal, a new agreement with all people that Jesus came into this world to save. All people didn't just came for the Israelites, didn't just come for the Israelites, but for all people to save us. And so that's the New Testament. Now, these books, we have uh, 66 individual books. That's important to note. The Bible is not one book. People like me, preachers and, and other Christians and teachers, we can kind of do this thing where we say, where the Bible says this and the Bible says that. And we can do that, but, but really, it's 66 individual books. You have 39 books in the Old Testament. You have 27 books in the New Testament. Did I do the math right? Is that 66? Yeah, right. Okay, and so that's what makes up the Bible, 66 individual books. Now, these books were written over a course of around 1,500 years about 40 different authors. And see, this fact in and of itself is another reason why I believe the Bible is worthy of literal interpretation, that it really is the Word of God. The inspired, God-breathed revelation of who God is and what He wants. Because when I look at a collection of texts that were written over a course of about 1,500 years by 40 different authors, I look at that and I wonder, how could that have been faked? How can you do that? What you have here is when you read the Bible in chronological order, which I strongly recommend, when you read it in chronological order, you hear the story. You read the story of one God on one mission. 
It's the story of one God on one mission. And when you read it chronologically, you see this progressive revelation of who God is and what he's up to revealed. It's revealed to us. I'm thinking, who could have faked that? 40 different contributors, 1,500 years. What kind of crazy secret organization could have put this together? And why? Who could fake it? And why? See what I'm saying? If it's just some dude sitting down, writing a book, saying, oh, this is, by the way, this is the word of God, just some guy, one book, I wrote it down. Like, that's suspect. Yes? Do you see what I'm saying? But all these different books compiled to tell one perfect story of God on one mission. To me, that's evidence that this really is the inspired word of God that's infallible. It's perfect. Perfect revelation. All right, so back to the mechanics of what the book is. Old Testament, New Testament, all these different contributors written over a course of about 1,500 years. Um, and like I said, I don't know how you would fake that. It's not like it's just some guy saying here, you know, I'm writing this all this stuff down, and it's the Word of God. But these 66 individual books, they're different types of books. You have books that are history. You have books that are prophecy. You have books that are wisdom literature. You have books, you've got a book that's just all songs and poems. You've got the book of Psalms. It's, it's, it's poems. It's songs. Uh, you have some biographies. You have some letters. And so that's an important thing to know. It's not one type of literature all the way through. It's different types of literature. When we find ourselves in one specific book of the Bible, we should know, well, what type of book is this? There's different types of book. And yes, there's some overlap. You can be reading a book, you know, like uh, Genesis, a book of history, and there's some prophecy in that, sure. Or you can be reading a book of prophecy, and there's some history in that, sure. Or you could be reading the Psalms, the different songs that David wrote, and you can read some prophecy in the book of Psalms, a book of poetry. But there are different types of books, and that's important to note as you're making your way through the Bible to ask yourself the question, what type of book is this? So that's the mechanics of the Bible. I don't know if that was boring to you, but I'm just saying, like, growing up in a church, that was a revelation in and of itself. Oh, wait, this isn't a book. It's 66, and it's different types of book contained, books contained in this collection of 66. That in and of itself was like, wow, okay, I didn't know that. And it helps me in figuring out how to read this thing. All right, so let's take a look at what the Bible claims to be, all right? The claims the Bible makes about itself. I'm just going to look at a couple of these. Back in the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom literature, book of teachings, it says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And if you look at Proverbs and you look at the book of the Old Testament, you have a lot of passages that are sort of like this, that speak to the high value of the word of God. Of course, are passages like this enough in and of themselves to prove that the Bible really is the Word of God? I mean, you're just making a claim about yourself here, yes? So that, that's kind of a leap. How about this? We make our way to the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, a New Testament passage. Here's Peter, one of the disciples, speaking to what the Scriptures is, how it came about, that adds to this, this claim that the Bible's making about itself. Yes? Second Timothy, this is in your bulletin. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. You can take a look at this as we read it. So this is Paul. He's instructing his, his son in the faith, Timothy, not his biological son, but his a man that he's mentored, he's becoming a pastor. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you've become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. 
and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed, all right? And so this is Paul, the New Testament writer, the man who wrote most of our New Testament, just saying, listen, this, this collection, this is special. This is different. This is God-breathed. You combine that with what Peter tells us, like, no, the people aren't just making this up on their own. It's all from God. It's God-breathed into existence, and it's useful. I love that phrase in English. Yeah, the Bible's useful. Yes, it's not just some religious. No, it's, it's useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good work. Now, again, these are just the claims the Bible makes about itself. Anybody can make a claim about them. You know, I can tell you I'm the king of Spain. I'm just making that claim. Is that true? Maybe. You don't know everything about me. I might be. You don't know. No, you can make these claims about yourself. A book can claim to be a certain thing, but why is that, why is that worth believing? And that brings me to the third reason why I have a high view of Scripture, and I believe that it really is the infallible, authoritative Word of God. And that's experience, experiencing it. When you read the teachings and you live by the teachings and it works, the experience of living out the Bible. Now, experience in and of itself, I'm not saying that's not enough, but combined with other pieces of evidence why I believe, it's the experience of living it out. Or you read what Scripture says about the human condition, and you're like, yeah, that's what people are like. That lines up with my, my experience. And so again, there's three reasons why I have a high view of Scripture, why I believe that the Bible is what it claims to be the infallible, authoritative Word of God. That's me. What about you? What do you believe about the Bible? Do you believe that it's utterly unreliable? That's what a lot of people believe, you know, outside the Christian community, that it's just a book and whatever, not reliable at all. Do you believe that it's useful but flawed? Right? Again, that kind of lower view of Scripture. Is that, what, is, that what you, is that what you believe, or do you believe that it's inspired, infallible, the authoritative Word of God? Now, statistically speaking, easy for me to say, statistically speaking, yes, a percentage of you here this morning, you don't know where you stand, and that's fine. You've got to go through this period of figuring this out. You don't know where you stand. So you're not alone if that's where you are. The Bible makes this very big claim about itself that it's the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God. And so here's what I'd say to you. If you're not sure where you stand, just resist the temptation to stay neutral, okay? Because that's the temptation. Well, I don't know. Because this is a big claim. And I believe that's worth looking into. Also, statistically speaking, there's a percentage of you here that have a, a lower view of Scripture. It's a useful guide, but is it perfect? Eh, who's to say? If that's you, right, if you have a lower view of Scripture, my question for you is, how did you land there? How did you land there? Because maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up in a church setting where you were just taught to have a lower view of Scripture. And so my question for you is, if you have that, is how did you, how did you get there? And then let me know. I mean, I've told you my whole thing is like, it just feels arbitrary to, to believe some of it, but not all of it. But tell me, why do you believe some of it but not all of it. Email me, jschafer at hopeccdelco.com. 
That's Jay Schaefer at HopeCCDelco.com. Just email me. Tell me why. Help me understand. What's your metric? What's your standard? Why do you believe some of it, but not all of it? Maybe you'll open my eyes. Like, oh, I never thought of it that way, right? Give me a chance to hear from you and give me a chance to respond back. As for us as a church, we maintain a high view of Scripture. We maintain a high view of the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe that the history contained in it is accurate and that all of the books of the Bible are worth consistent, literal, normative interpretation. And we'll talk about what that terminology means in part three of this series. As a church, we believe that we have no individual say in determining what's right and wrong for ourselves. But we have to defer to the authority of Scripture. Our understanding of all things it has to be based on what's been revealed to us in Scripture. Our understanding of eternity, of hell, of heaven, of salvation, of damnation, our understanding of who God is and what He wants, they all have to be based on what the Bible has revealed to us. Let's pray on that. Father God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you for this collection of texts that reveals yourself to us, that reveals your will to us. And Father, I pray for all of us in this room right now. And, you know, again, God, only you know our hearts, only you know where we stand. And so for those that are in this room right now that have a, a lower view of Scripture, just I pray that they would answer the questions that I laid out to just figure out, well, how do they land there? How do they get there? And what's the metric? You know, Father God, for all of us who look into your word, there's going to be things that we want to believe. There's going to be things that we question. There's going to be things that we struggle with. And I just pray, God, that you would allow all of us who follow you, Jesus, allow all of us to defer to the authority of your word. More than that, God, I pray that the Bible would not just be something we have some ideas about, but it would be something that we actually read and study and appreciate. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.